<laughs> okay, well, let's pretend that everything went well and that nothing crashed and that's not like the third time we have to try this. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's technology. It always, it always revolts when you need it the most. Yeah, well, don't say that. I'm building a tech startup for the whole world. That'd be great. Yours won't. I've had days when, you know, when I most need the code to work, I go online and it's a, like it doesn't work. Or once I, I remember because I didn't renew my SSL certificate or whatever this is, when people went on Bridal, it says, this website is a fraud and we steal your financial information. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Not the case. Anyways, Erin, um, good to have you here. Um, so sorry, I've said that already, but good to have you here. I'm excited to, to discuss today about so many different things. Dami, what have you been up to? What's going on? Who are you? I'm so love those questions. <laughs> um, so, you know, for anybody that I haven't met yet, um, we were just talking when we tried to record this the first time. Um, about how amazing this equestrian community is and how small it ends up feeling because there's always, you know, one degree of separation. It's really cool when you meet other, especially other female equestrian entrepreneurs, how much connection there is right off the bat. And just, you know, the connection to the connection, you know, we feel this immediate kind of pull to each other. Like you and I hit it off immediately. I mean, the first time we ever talked on the phone, we could have talked for a whole day. Um, and then you find out how many other people are part of this kind of tight-knit community. So, you know, for me, I have built this community on Instagram. That is something that's really important to me because that, you know, it's allowed me to make connections, meet people like you, um, meet so many people in the equestrian community from all walks of life. So I have my Instagram community. I'm kind of a, what I call an accidental influencer. I never set out to be an influencer. I just set out to share at the time, my, you know, kind of behind the scenes life working for Noel Floyd as the media director and the producer of Equestrian Masterclass. Um, and then it evolved into sharing really kind of the vulnerable side of being an equestrian. Um, I share a lot about the struggles, the finances, the, the work and career path and the ups and downs there. And it's built into this kind of incredible community of over 20,000 horse women um, that I've gotten to connect with. So I have that. And then for the past five years, I have been the media director for Noel Floyd. Um, I helped create and get off the ground the Equestrian Masterclass platform and produced and directed all of the Equestrian Masterclass courses, which was the most incredible experience. I mean, we've talked about it before that I was like, it's really crazy that I could just like call Ian Miller on the phone, um, be like, hey, 10 time Olympian Captain Canada. Can we chat? So, I mean, that was just a life-changing experience. Noelle opened a lot of doors for me, but um, my last day was actually on Friday. So it's, uh, I haven't announced it yet. This is actually kind of the first time I'm putting that out into the world. That's been my life for five years. Um, Noelle and I are very good friends and we'll be working a lot together on some really exciting projects, but I am now starting my own company called On Course Equestrian with my really good friend and business partner, Ali Justin, and also going to be doing some work with um, Britt Courtney at Meraki Creative. So new adventures on the horizon. And I think, you know, the other side of that too is my riding life is a huge part of what I do. I am a professional show jumper, um, assistant trainer, 
here in Oregon in the United States um, and pursuing some really big goals. I, it sounds weird to say later in life, but I'm in my mid thirties and I, I would like to jump at a really high level. And I think most people that want to do what I want to do in the saddle have been successfully doing it since they were, you know, 18 and went pro right out of high school. So for me, you know, I've been riding and competing my whole life, but I would like to jump a meter 60 and compete internationally and uh, like to do that before my body says I can't. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's a lot of irons in the fire, but that's kind of the nature of, you know, being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, I think. That's super exciting. I, I mean, you know how, I, how much I relate to everything. Um, for me, it's been a I mean, I have to admit that I've stalked the hell out of you on Instagram. <laughs> I appreciate that. I do that to other people. So, and, you know, that's how we build the connection, right? We're like, hey, I actually know all about your life. And it's funny because I just posted on our, on our rival Instagram like 10 minutes ago, we're having Erin Lane on, on, on the podcast. And uh, one of my friends, she was like, oh my God, I'm such a big fan. <laughs> and <I was> <laughs> I feel both so good and also so incredibly weird because I just honestly am the most kind of normal horse girl ever. I mean, yeah, I'm really passionate about what I do career-wise and that's always been a big thing for me. But I mean, I, yes, I want to ride at a meter 60 and I do the, you know, Instagram thing, but I also like came to the barn that I'm the trainer at now with a horse that I bought off Facebook for $2,000. Like I have, I've never been this, like, I've kind of had to weasel my way <laughs> into this sport in a roundabout way because I didn't ever have, you know, the money or the connections or the opportunity like a lot of people do. So it's funny to me to now be someone that people even know who I am because I just never thought that that would happen. It's funny, it's funny that you say that because I mean, you, you know what, what we're working on, you know what I'm trying to do, you know, and I don't come necessarily, I have the same type of background, I suppose, as you do. I come from a middle class family. My dad is a resource trainer, so always been in horses. My mom doesn't really, you know, she likes them, but she doesn't do anything with horses. So when I was a kid, I had to, you know, you know work for what I got, and I'm not a professional show jumper, really far from that. I completely stopped actually riding since a while. But like, I, I was a pretty good rider, um, but I got to this because I just would get the pony from the back of the field. And, and I was never an academic. It would just be like, you know, I rode racehorses, photo ponies, like all sorts of things and all the little horses that no one wanted to ride. And I don't even know if I rode them well. I just didn't fall off and it worked, you know? But, but it's funny how this really two worlds within one, how we have the really, I mean, it don't, one doesn't, mean that the other is not hardworking whatsoever. What I'm saying is you either have the hyper wealth or you have the normal wealth for who a 50K horse is extremely expensive. We oh, yeah. do numbers forgetting that 50K is the price of a nice house in Texas. You know? <laughs> Objectively, it's a lot of money. Um, that actually, it's funny because, you know, I do develop and sell young horses. Um, and I do sell horses for more than I have ever spent on a horse. I mean, the most expensive horse I have ever owned is the horse that I own right now, who was $50,000. And to me, I mean, it was a huge, huge thing for me to invest that much money in a horse. 
every other horse that I've had is kind of like you. I rode whatever was available. I mean, I was a working student for like 20 years um, and I just rode whatever. And then when I took a break from, I mean, I did my first Grand Prix on a horse that was $5,000. He was an off the track thoroughbred who had like terrible confirmation and he was just a really good boy. Um, and then I burnt out on the sport because I never felt like I belonged. And I think that that's changing a lot. There's a lot of people like you and I who are like, listen, all of us belong. Like you just said, like one does not negate the other. We can all be part of this. Um, but I burnt out on the sport a little bit. So I took a break and then I ended up coming back to riding in polo and riding polo ponies because I would just get on and do whatever. It didn't matter if they were hot or young or anything. I just wanted to be around horses and I, I was willing to kind of do whatever, whatever it took to do that. Um, and I'm still in that position, but it's funny to me now, cause you're probably in a similar position that I have to walk this line between the two worlds of working a lot in the more kind of higher end side of things, especially because I do want to ride at high level and then also being really supportive of the community that built me, you know, which is the, you know, off the track thoroughbreds, being working students, clawing your way up. And it's really interesting to kind of live in the middle there. I think so too. And for me, like, for example, I'm sure no one knows this, but like if you go on, on the FBI, you type my name, nothing will come up. Like I was not a competitive show jump. I would show jump at home, do tracks 145, 130, whatever, just for fun. But the best horse I rode was an off-track thoroughbred. So you see, like a really good inventor, but whatever. And, and when I was 18, I had an accident riding it in South Africa. That was the last time I, I jumped for real. And after that, I just rode racehorses. <laughs> was it after you had an accident you rode racehorses? <laughs> Think about it. You just get on the ponies, put the pony in a straight line, and say go. You hope that they'll stop. <laughs> and I, I did ride ever since you know sports horses but it's funny because like nothing makes sense it's like I ride a sports horse for six months I get on a, on a race or uh, a racehorse I don't understand what you have to do I ride racehorses for six months get on a sports horse all yeah. the bottoms are different but I feel like what you're saying about you know the way in which you know I, I also was a working student when I was from 13 to well about 16 17 18 all sorts of different barns and do you recognize that there is a culture for abuse of the working students? Because I'm an abuser. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I'm really grateful for the experience that I had because it taught me, I mean, it's the only reason I think that I am well equipped to pursue a professional career now. Um, but it also, in my opinion, I mean, I like you worked outside of the horse world for quite a while. I mean, my career now is solely in the equestrian space, but I worked for major television networks for ESPN, MTV, NBC, um, when I lived in Los Angeles. And I think being a working student is what also equipped me to do that because I learned how to just, you know, hustle and not take things personally and, you know, be a self-starter and do all the things. But when I was a working student, I worked for an incredible trainer. Um, she's passed away now, but she taught me so much, everything I know about horsemanship, but she was so so intense. I mean, it was, it was a very, you do it this way. If you mess up, there's no room for error. I mean, she put me on a plane home from a horse show once for being late. Like there was no, 
there was no way around that. Um, and I was braiding horses at like two o'clock in the morning and then working all day trying to show, um, it taught me so much. I wouldn't change it for the world, but it definitely is a situation that you have to learn to just, I mean, it makes you so tough, which is, I don't know that I think everybody needs to go through a situation in which they're like, you know, abused. <laughs> and, um, I do think that the culture needs to shift to be very supportive. And there's a, there's a line between teaching you work ethic and how to have a strong work ethic and beating you down. And so I think we need to be very supportive of our working students and be teaching them. Um, but I think in the time, you know, you're about 10 years younger than me, but especially in the time that I was coming up as a working student, it was very much in that old school way of like, you know, you're either, if you fall off, you're either back on the horse or going to the hospital. <laughs> if you, you need to show up here at 5 a.m., no complaining. So it's, it's shifted a little bit, but it was, uh, it taught me a lot. I made it through, but it could have gone the other way, I think. I think, I think, you know, um, I just wanted to say, like, for example, what you were saying about being able to restart in any way, like, for example, that's why I relate a lot to what you say, because now I'm not riding anymore, I'll ride every now and then, and I'm like, well, if one day I want to start, you know, jumping big and actually start showing for real and not just do a few show nationals here and there, I can, it doesn't, it, there's never this limit to what you can do in ages, is literally nothing, but talking about, about the experience as a, as a working student, like, oh my God, you should have seen the things I've been through. I'll speak about it off camera, but my train, but like the trainer I was working for was a freaking psycho. It's like, it's like I've seen a lot. I walked away with a really, really, really strong damaged mindset and two tendonitis, but it made me stronger. And um, talking of your experience, like outside of the, of the horse world, do you think that this blend between what you learn as an equestrian working student and what you've done outside, you know, to, for, for companies like MTV and all of those, especially with MTV, you were saying like production, that must have helped tremendously for your output. I mean, it definitely did. It's kind of a roundabout path that led me here. I've always wanted to work in horses. It's It's been my my passion since I was a little kid. It's the one thing that I always come back to is just, I'm such a horse girl through and through. I mean, I am, my whole life is horses. I truly sometimes have to look at myself because I don't have a social life outside of horses. I don't have interests. I don't have other hobbies. It's all, all comes back to horses and just my lifelong obsession with being around them. But I left, you know, I kind of was in this position and this was before, like, this makes me, I'm not that old, obviously, but it was like when social media was just coming up, this is when people had like Tumblr blogs and we had MySpace. Yes. Like you had your top eight and Tom was your friend, but we, there's a lot more opportunity in the horse world now than there was when I was 18 and graduated from high school. So, you know, I graduated and I basically looked at the horse world and said, I'm not going to make it here. You know, I don't have the money. I don't have the horses. I'd love to ride professionally, but I don't want to be a trainer in a small town with a barn full of kids because that's just not for me. I mean, I love teaching. I teach now, but it wasn't, that's a really hard life. I mean, there's, there's no free time. There's no vacations. Not that that's the priority, but I always wanted to do something where I could reach 
more people. I could reach like a, you know, I wanted to do something that felt to me really big and really far reaching. And at the time I had no idea what that was. So I left my small town, moved to Los Angeles to work in television. I wanted to be an actor. And I had this theory that if I could be a successful actor, I could then afford to show horses, which is the most absurd plan ever, because those are like the two hardest careers to have. Like, I want to be a professional show jumper and a successful actor. Like those things, those are both two almost impossible things to make happen. So let's just do both. Like, no, that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But I did end up building a very successful career in production. Um, so I worked for great companies. I learned so much. I mean, I worked my way up from the very bottom, being the person that gets everyone coffee to producing and directing, you know, national commercials, live television events. Um, I got to do some on-camera reporting. I learned a ton. And then I reached a point that my career was great. I was living in California, but I was so unhappy and something huge was missing. And I knew what it was because I would drive past barns on my way to a shoot or on my way to work. And I would cry because I would see other people riding horses and I wasn't really connecting it, but I had gone my whole life. I mean, being a working student, I started competing when I was seven and not doing that anymore. It was like, I lost my identity. And so I decided to, you know, start, I was still riding, but I was riding like here and there for other people. I wasn't competing. I wasn't jumping. I started playing polo and that really brought me back to my love of horses. And that also kind of led me to quit my job in production and be, figure out a way to work in the horse world, which it's a very long story of like how I ended up at Noel Floyd. Um, but you know, I quit a successful career. I worked at the polo club. I taught polo lessons. Eventually I took over as the director of marketing and PR there. Um, then I started my own equestrian magazine with my trainer in San Diego. And that led me to working at Noel Floyd. And then I was able to build up this equestrian career with all of those. It was so cool because it was with all of these pieces from the career I thought I left behind. I was like, well, I'm done with this. And then I got to take a decade's worth of skills built and turn that into a career in horses, which I, you know, if you would ask me that at 18, that wasn't something that existed. Like that wasn't even, it wasn't a career path I could pursue. And so it's been a, a very exciting and fulfilling journey to be able to take all of those things that I learned and turn it into something in the horse world, which is now evolving even further. It's super funny that you say that because like, okay, maybe you'll relate to this. When I was a kid, I would like, you know, ride pony club, do the, the national shows here and there and do this and do that. Like I would watch TV or watch the pigs, watch big shows on TV with names that now I work with, which is so fun. And I would tell them, oh, I just want to be a show jumper. And she would tell me, no, don't work in horses because horses doesn't bring you this life. I, I want better for you and this, that, the other, which I have so much respect for people that do it full time because I tried and my body was gone by two years. Honestly, riding six, seven horses a day, I just couldn't physically handle that. Or mentally, I think. <laughs> and I like my coffee at eight o'clock in the morning. And my, it's, too, it's different. But 
it's funny because I also kind of, I studied equine management. I left entirely the sport for a while, left it behind, stopped riding. And for the last three to four years, I've been riding on and off just for fun and, you know, flat here and there. And I can, I think the last five times I've flatted horses are in different countries. It's so much fun. But now I just do it for the fun of it. And it's funny because before bridal, I worked in venture capital. I did different things and it was like, to people it was like, oh, you know, perfect career, perfect this, perfect that, seen a lot of entrepreneurs. And my mom was like, wow, amazing. Like, you know, this is what I've always wanted for my daughter and whatever. She just wants me to be happy. But I was just so miserable. I would get a really good paycheck. I would get, you know, really, really, really good for my age. And I would, you know, work for people internationally and do different things, which is fun. And it was fun then, but something was missing. And then what the hell? I don't know what came through my mind in 2020, like 20, late 2019, early 2020. I got obsessed with the idea of creating this acquired marketplace and it was just obvious, right? And now I get paid to talk to my favorite athletes, sell horses for them, watch horse videos on Instagram. Like it's just the freaking best. But now it's like making money in a way that if you had told me 10 years ago, you're gonna do this digitally, working from wherever you want, your hours that you want, not owe anyone anything. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's being able to create a job for yourself, the exact job on your own terms. And I see that what you're, you're coming, what's coming up with your new project and everything that you're doing and your project also that we can talk about on your equestrian side, this is exactly what you're doing. You're doing yes. something that's unique to you. And, and I think that this, whether it succeeds, whether it doesn't succeed and all the projects that we may have in our life, it's so powerful and we learn by doing and we learn so much more than if we were just in a little corporate ladder waiting paycheck to paycheck. It's just so well. It's unlikely to make money with horses, but it's so much better. <laughs> I, exactly. And there's no, you know, every, everyone thinks you have to have your life mapped out. And I'm always so impressed with I forget all the time that you're 23 because that blows my mind. I mean, it is insane. I mean, you're so driven and accomplished and have done so much by this age. I mean, I can't even imagine where you'll be by 33. It's incredible. But even, you know, everyone thinks you have to have your life so mapped out of this is how I will build this career. What do you want to do at 18? What, you know, how are you going to do it? And if I had stuck to, and same thing with you, if I had stuck to this is how it has to be done, or this is the only way to do this, none of these things, bridal wouldn't exist. You know, equestrian masterclass might not exist because if Noelle had done the same thing, Noelle Floyd wouldn't exist. Our, you know, my new project on course wouldn't exist because you have to kind of allow things to happen to see where the new opportunities are. And it's a big part of why Allie and I decided to start on course and support other equestrians that want to create businesses or side hustles or anything in the equestrian space, because there's this kind of notion that if you're not going to be a professional rider, you're not going to be a trainer, you're not going to be a dealer or a vet or, you know, own a boarding facility. There's no way to do this. And that's not true at all because look at what we've done. There's so many untapped ideas. There's so many new ways that will come up to work in horses that we don't know about yet. And even something that seems as straightforward as, you know, starting creating a community on Instagram, like say someone wants to learn just how to build a community on Instagram that could turn into so many things down the road that could turn into a career. 
you know, I think it's, I think it's really cool that now we're able to start hearing the stories and the voices of people that are doing these things and be able to support each other. And I'm really excited to be able to provide some resources and mentorship and support because this I'm so much, you know, yes, I work all the time. I'm sure you do too, but it's doing, I'm so happy and fulfilled because, you know, whether I'm sitting on my computer, I'm still doing things that like revolve around the horse world. I'm still connecting to other horse people. And I think that when you love horses, that's the goal, right? It's not about necessarily like, yes, I ride professionally because I love competing and I love jumping, but I also love helping other equestrian entrepreneurs. And I love editing and producing and directing equestrian media. And so there's just so many ways to do it. I mean, I have friends that, you know, are write equestrian themed novels or started clothing companies or magazines or photographers or graphic designers or whatever. There's just, there's so many opportunities there. And I think it's really about allowing that possibility to exist. I think, I think that people like, this is something that might cause debate outside the world as well, but, but we think that our industry is a niche. It's not, it's free. It's worth $300 billion a year. There's so much that goes into it, whether it's, you know, well, that includes everything, of course, racing, everything else, but, and still, and still, and still, that doesn't include the cash transaction for horse purchase. (laughs) That's from the data we have. So I I assume that it's more about, more, more like 350, 400, rather than 300 billion a year. And it's growing at a crazy rate. Um, Last time it was 7% a year just in church. So it's it's a lot, it's a lot, but but I mean generally like I feel like a lot of people and I talk from my experience and from what I've heard from others, like the equine market is I'll get insulted so bad for this, but it's such an archaic old market. And yes. <laughs> some people are gonna hate me, but it's like it's like we need to bring modernity to our sport. And I feel like the first layer of this is being done through social media. Now everyone's doing the funny TikTok dances to get more followers. Um, everyone is getting more and more involved and connected in ways that are absolutely mind-blowing. Today I've had a call with someone in Italy, away with someone in well, now I'm recording a podcast with someone in Oregon. I'm in Barcelona. Like it's like we're opening the borders of everything that wasn't happening until now. But I also think that, you know, in regards to our sport. Maybe the older generation, the older, you know, people that are older than 45, 50, it's not, I'm not saying they're old, I'm just saying they're the older generation, yes. won't necessarily understand either what I'm working on, either what you're working on, the equine management softwares or whatever it may be, because they've always been able to do things in their own way. However, I feel like with the opening of borders, the connectedness with digital like opportunities, we're able to scale businesses in a way that's never been possible before from anywhere. If I manage to sell a hundred horses a year, I don't even have to go to the trials. I could send somebody for me and do everything where I'm zooming out. It's incredible. It's incredible. But this can be even more and more and more and more scaled with you know the centralization of things. You tomorrow create your on-course uh, masterclass, a million people could watch it. You know, it's fascinating because I mean there's the industry is 
changing so rapidly. And it's just like you were saying, it is an older, <laughs> it's a slow. So what we've always said when we were developing equestrian masterclass is equestrians in the equestrian community, it's slow adopters, right? So they're not going to be the first people necessarily kind of like to use an analogy that everybody understands. They're not going to be the first people with the new iPhone. They're going to wait and see if everyone else has the new iPhone. And if the new iPhone is great, and if all of their friends at the barn have it, then they'll get it. And that's just kind of the way that it's a, it's a sport rooted in tradition in every discipline, whether it's Western or dressage or show jumping, it's all rooted in tradition, wherever that comes from. And so it's kind of the slow progress. And with the evolution of technology, fresh ideas are coming out, but we kind of have to beat down the doors to make it happen. And we went through the same thing, you know, when we developed a question masterclass of our mission was accessible education for all equestrians. So if you can't get to clinics or you trailer in for a lesson once a week, but you want to learn and you are invested in bettering yourself as a horse person and better horse care and learning about horse psychology and human psychology and biomechanics of riding and want to learn from Ian Miller and Carl Cook and everybody we wanted it to be like, okay, great. Log onto your computer for $20 and you have access to everyone. And, you know, even though I've, I'm moving on to a new project, that's something that I'm, I'm really proud of being part of was creating that accessibility. And that's what, you know, we want to do with OnCourse is create accessibility now for equestrian entrepreneurs and influencers and businesses. And with Bridal, it's creating this before there's kind of this gatekeeping of, you know, okay, these certain brokers or certain dealers know the horses and they might be marking them up this much and you, there's no transparency. And if you don't know the right people in Europe, you have to go through the people who do, and they might not give you the best horses, or they might not tell you what's really going on, or you might have, you might get a horse that it's like when you order something off Amazon, like the memes of like what I ordered and what I got, like not the same. And when it comes down to it, like, this industry is built off two things. It's humans and living creatures, right? Like this isn't like, we're not selling iPhones. We're selling, you know, we're, we're working the whole, whether, no matter whether we're like, you know, for on course or bridal or equestrian masterclass, it's all about human connection and the, in the horses who are these sentient living creatures who do so much for us. So the ability now to create these like fresh ways of doing things is like the new technology, the transparency, the connection via tech is really good for everybody because yeah, there might be some resistance from like the old guard, but if you really got it, yeah. what we're doing, even though we're doing vastly different things, it's all for the same reason. It's to better support the equestrian community, the people and to do better by the horses. And I think that, you know, if everyone can start looking at it that way of like, oh, they're not just changing things just to change it. They're not trying to kick us out. They're not trying to get rid of us. They're trying to improve the sport for the horses and the people. Then like, what is like, what, how would there be any problem in that? I mean, it's good for everybody. It, yeah, their businesses, everyone wants to make money, but money will come if things are done well for the humans and the horses. I think it's it's an interesting debate here. This is gonna provoke a lot of thought. I like this a lot. And um, to me, to me, 
you know, whether it's me that does it or someone else in two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, someone's going to do it. So whether it's me or my competitors or whoever succeeds at creating this global marketplace for equine trade, whoever tells me, no, I'm not going to invest in you. No, I don't believe in you. No, it's not the right model. I just want to tell them to watch whether it's now or later. I mean, you should have seen the reactions I got when I suggested that one day courses would be paid in Bitcoin. That was very funny. But it's like, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's, that's just the way it is. I was looking at a, at a what do you call this? a study uh, that Mackenzie did and in, in digitization agriculture so horses do fall within the agriculture section is the less digitized um, market industry so so I think that there's a lot that will come in the future and that I you know we shouldn't give up no matter how hard it is there's a huge resistance but it's also interesting because we're early on in the process of and often that's what creates really really successful global businesses now it's a very big challenge because everything that I propose, such as transparency, you know, and, and security, it falls down to myself at the moment for doing the job because a lot is manual, a lot is me calling people, a lot is me pressurizing, you know, deals to go through the right way and saying, no, I'm not selling this horse. Or it still relies on trustworthiness from the people. So I depend a lot on people and I always will in a sense or another. I'm not an agent, I'm creating a marketplace. So those are two different things, but it's super interesting because you know, the creation of, of a platform, everything is based on two things, network and network and trust. trust. I'm just digitizing this. I'm not creating anything new. I'm just allowing people to come in one place to do it. And it's the same for you. You know, you will be proposing in a way or another, it will be a marketplace of courses. You've got your course creator and you've got the one that wants to learn. You're centralizing that. Otherwise, people have to call different people, watch different YouTube videos, like whatever they may have to do to get to that learning. So I think that the power of centralization in that matter is, is absolutely huge. And it's, it's mind-blowing what can be done. Now, I'm very excited for what you're doing because it also, you know, a big part of what I think tech is going to do in kind of all of these sides is open things up to more people who love horses and love the sport because there is, you know, it's the same if the way that we came into the sport is not abnormal. It's a really hard world to break into. And I don't think that's unique just to show jumping. I think that it's like that in most horse sport, even in whether it's raining or three day eventing or whatever, it's hard to break into and technology is allowing the access, the accessibility. So people can, you know, in the case of on course, have access to course creators and business education and social media education and mentorship and community. In the case of bridal, they, it's a marketplace that is going to, yeah. So a lot of the horses might be in a certain price range because that is the nature of that level of the sport, but it's also opening up a place where people know there's transparency. They know how it works. They're able to start to learn and understand and kind of empower themselves to understand the horse market and to be able to buy and sell horses in a way that they feel like they have some more control over because right now you're really at the mercy of a trainer or a broker or whatever. There's no autonomy there. And I am 
a trainer. I am a professional writer. I sell horses. So I see I'm on that side of it too. But for me, I mean, I always want to be transparent. I, I find like I, the reason I buy and sell horses is because I love to match make. It's like when I used to watch millionaire matchmaker on TV, I want to find, I want to create partnerships. It's not about, yes, I would like to make money for my time, but I love creating the partnership. It's not about, I don't want to pull the you know rug over anyone. I don't want people to not know what's happening. I don't want them to not know why they're paying a certain price. And I think that it's very confusing because you can go look at a bunch of horses, right? So you can call a bunch of people right now and you have no idea why one, if you look at three, five-year-olds, one's $300,000, one's $75,000, one's 125. Why? Like what is happening? Like what is the market value? What is commission? What's added on? Like what the heck is going on? Um, so I think that technology is going to create this level of accessibility in so many different ways that allows more people to be part of this sport and, you know, allows more people to buy horses, sell horses, learn things, feel like they're part of it. And even that's kind of like, so bridal is helping me obviously with my syndication project of, I want to, you know, like I said, I want to ride at the meter 60 level. I want to ride on the international stage. Um, the biggest thing that bars me from that is not dedication, not skill, not connections. It's the horses, right? Like I don't have access to those horses. So I've been working with you and with your team on finding. We have to just point out how good Anne Sophie of Rider's team has been in finding those prospects because it's not me. I give her the credit. <laughs> she is unreal. So like, I mean, though the horses that we've looked at already are some of, I mean, the most promising young horses that I've seen in my career. I'm, I mean, I got off that meeting with you guys, just giddy, like danced around my house. And for me, you know, we're looking at young horses that have meter 60 potential that we could develop. Um, and I'm looking to put together a syndicate, which is, you know, a group of investors who want to join in on purchasing this horse and developing it into an international competitor. And part of that, yes, is for me to be able to have access to that horse. But also I've been talking to so many people that are interested in this because they want to be part of show jumping. They want to feel like they're truly part of this world as an owner, as someone who can come to the shows, hang out at the barn, go to the, you know, go ringside and say, that's my horse, watch their horse. Do you check in? How's my horse doing? Talk about the training, learn about the experience. And they're not going to have the, the finances to go buy a $300,000 horse, right? But they do want to invest a certain amount of money and be an owner. And yes, down the road, we could sell that horse. It could win prize money. But the biggest part about it is creating that sense of belonging and accessibility of there's a way, you know, this is another way that we're using the bridal team and the platform to create accessibility in the marketplace of, Hey, here's an exciting idea. What if a lot of us, a group of us that are, you know, we love show jumping and we want to be part of the journey of a, you know, a future international competitor of a horse. What if we all band together and we do this together? And then something that none of us thought was possible can become possible when we join forces. And none of that would be possible 
without something like bridal. I mean, I've been looking for horses for this project for like a year and I don't, I haven't felt comfortable enough. (laughs) Well, no, way before we started looking, I looked into this, I had this idea and I wanted to do it, but I didn't feel comfortable enough bringing it to my community or the greater community and asking people to invest unless I knew that we could, you know, there's no guarantees in horses, but I wanted to make sure I could trust where the horse was coming from, trust that we, everything was transparent and without bridal and without the team here, I don't think that I would feel comfortable enough doing that. And now I'm at a position that I'm like, this could be real. We could really do this. We could really put a group of people together who want to be part of this journey. And it all comes back to everything I do. I want to be accessible. I always want to be inclusive. I never want to have, I never want to be exclusive. And I think that that is what you and I are doing. And a lot of the people in our community that we work with are trying to do with these new ideas. It's not new just for the sake of being new. And yes, they're businesses, they're startups, they're about pushing the boundaries and making money and being scalable. But they're also about bringing that level of accessibility and inclusivity to our communities, which I think is really exciting that we're able to do that. And that that's kind of the focus of like this new generation of, hey, we're innovative, but also we want you to be part of it. I think there's so many things that fall into that. I love how you hype me up, by the way. This is great. I don't think that I was going to be hyped up that much. But then, then I mean, I am so excited from a selfish perspective, but also because I just think it's only the beginning of what we can do together. Absolutely. No, it's brilliant. I think that that's definitely true. And, and one thing is like how connectedness also allows us love into friendship because that's something that has absolutely, you can't put a value to it. It's like you can call somebody and always, you know, count on their help or whatever it may be. And finding that through digital connectedness is, is pretty good. But one thing that, that I think, I mean, I was thinking of so many things while you were talking about that. One is right now we're kind of using you as a consulting case. We have never done, you know, a free well free jumper before. And, and with that answer, I wouldn't be able to because I would, as I told you, I would be presenting you running potatoes. Like she's so good at finding incredible prospects and, and I'm so lucky to have her on the team. But it's like, think about this. Now we've got the example case, okay? Put technology to it. You do something like Indiegogo or Kickstarter or, you know, your crowdfunding campaign. And you say, hey, Erin Lane Professional Show Jumper based in Oregon wants to do this, wants to buy this type of horse. Are you interested to invest? You could put from 50 euros you would have so many people that would be interested just because they want to see one, the story of the horse happening and they would love that too. You know, they could get a return on investment until the horse gets sold, whatever. Free, it's so, why would people invest in resources and not in show jumpers as a syndicate? So that's one thing. That can be done automatically by a tech and that's something we want to do in the future and that's why it's so exciting to have this consulting case happening in a much more manual way to kind of test the idea. Two, I always get from people that, hey, but with what you're creating, you're threatening dealers and you're threatening trainers' businesses. I'm like, no, but do I take ownership in saying that I'm threatening bad dealers and trainers that lack honesty? Hell yes, and I can't wait to see you all disappear. But the thing is, it's like, you know, how many times before, because people know how blunt I can be. 
And how many times have I had the, oh, by the way, you owe me 5,000 because I forwarded this video on WhatsApp. Like, what the hell are you talking about? People forwarding videos get own commission. That's how it works. Or people like the, the trainer that calls me saying, hey, uh, I'm going to invoice you 10,000 behind the back of my client. There's no way. There's no way. And that's why it's a bit difficult because we want to do things in an honest way. Now I have, you know, trainers that come to me, aren't, um, student knows they're paying them 15% apart as a service. That's yeah. totally fine. That's, that's fine. That's to me, that's normal. Totally normal. If the client is aware and everything, that's how we work. We're definitely happy to work with trainers as long as things are done in a transparent way. And picture this, this is something I'm also thinking of. You love matchmaking, okay? In five years time, Rival is this platform allowing you to see, like that's something I also want to do, like the deals that we're working on, we don't have the horses in portfolio. Say, hey, do you know a horse in your network that could fit? Mm -hmm. I know five horses that could fit. I call the owner, I'm like, hey, this platform Rival allows you to list your horses privately, so no one needs to know they're for sale, but we could match them to edge clients. We already know the details of what the client is. The client has been verified by the platform. It's something serious. You can see the videos, it's legit, whatever. And if the match works, we can see all the video, know who the client is. They have like, in a super efficient way. And you can get a cut from the commission for what Rado is supposed to make because you reference the words to us. How many riders that are at the shows will want to not make ends meet, but make money from deals in which they're involving themselves for generating traffic and, and bringing horses onto the platform and new operations. Same with the client searching. And even same with like trial riders. Right now we've got Anastasia Mandareva that tries for us, Richard Kierkegaard, we'll have soon Sophie Bennett, um, and we've had a young rider from Spain that's done. Every time a young rider tries a horse for us, we, get, we pay them 250 euros from the client's perspective. Now it's kind of like slow because we don't have that many trials or when the trial happen, they don't necessarily want to send someone else to try it, whatever. Think about this. Tomorrow there's thousands and thousands and thousands of deals happening. You're a great rider. You can go try three horses a week. That's 750 euros a week just to sit on a horse for 30 minutes, do a video. Which is so great too because that circles back to the whole thing of supporting everyone in the community. I mean, if especially, you know, we're looking at for me, when I'm looking at horses for my clients, I want to see a junior or an amateur on the horse. I don't want to see a professional who rides at the meter 50 level yeah. because it's different. They're not going to ride the, of course the horse is going to go great for them. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense. And so it's a really amazing way too to provide opportunity for the up and comers. I mean, I think about when I was a junior, what an incredible experience to not only get on a lot of different types of horses, you learn from that, but also get paid. That's horse show money. That's money that goes straight towards your building your career. That is, it's a, and it is helpful for everybody. It's helpful for the seller. It's helpful for the buyer. It's helpful for the trial rider. I mean, I think that the way that you're approaching this, where it's, it's value driven, right? Like it's driven from your, from your ethics and from the way that you think this needs to be improved it's filling a gap in the market, which is a huge part of entrepreneurship. And, you know, but it's also the reason I think that it's going to do well is because you're so purpose driven. I think that as long as you, you know, I'm now starting a business where I am coaching and providing resources to equestrian entrepreneurs and business owners. And I, a big part of this, I think, is that 
You have to be driven by something more than I want to have a business that makes money. It has to be, you have to have a purpose and a reason. And that's a huge part. I hear, I hear it so much in your voice when you talk about this, the passion that comes from it, like changing this industry for the better, for improving it for everybody. It improves it for the horses because the horses end up in better situations because they're, it's transparent exactly what they're going to be like. You know, the blood is drawn during the trials. You have trial riders get on them. It's very clear who that horse is going to be. It's supportive of young riders. It's supportive of amateurs because you can use them as trial riders. And then it's supportive of people who want to buy and sell horses and not be, you know, kind of taken advantage of by the small, I think it's a small selection of people in this industry that are bad apples, but just like any industry, there are people that take advantage of other people and that ruins it for everybody, especially with, we all know how much horses cost. They're really expensive. Even if you have a ton of money, it's still a lot of money to shell out. Like you should know where that money's going. And you see, there's something that, that really shocks people. And, and I love that it shocks people. Is that before we have a client going to try a horse, they sign the price of the horse. They sign the commission. I have a client trying a horse Monday uh, in Florida from a very, very good, good rider. If it goes well, brilliant. If it doesn't go well. And I was so happy that they were super open to it because I was, I was afraid that this was going to be like kind of a deal breaker. We don't sign trial agreements and stuff. And it's nothing crazy. We don't say that tomorrow the horse wins a Grand Prix in Congo Urban Valley. That's a total link different conversation. But if Erin Lane asks me about the horse on Friday and I present the horse for 150, meaning that 15,000 go to bridal and that's the only commission vote, if the horse wins a derby on Saturday, I'm not presenting the horse for 350 on Sunday. Yes. At least to you. Maybe to another client they ask something else, which is fine, but if we've started the conversation, agreed on something, willing to come try the horse on a Monday, you shouldn't have to. And if it's 150 for you, it shouldn't be, you know, half a million for Queen Elizabeth because she, you know, and it's back to everything. I mean, it's all, it's, it's just fascinating to me. And there's something I think is so cool about this kind of new generation in this industry. Yes. You know, you and I are 10 years apart, but it's, we're still, I think, part of the same kind of group of people that are trying to, in all these different businesses, um, they do vastly different things, right? But they all kind of have the same bigger overarching purpose, which is let's make, this sport is going to die if we do not make it more forward thinking, more inclusive, more accessible, more transparent. We cannot continue to gatekeep equestrianism. It cannot continue to be, well, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. If you can afford it, you can, and if not, go away. It cannot continue to be like that or it will die. It's not a spectator sport. It does not have the support that mainstream sports have. Yes, it's growing still. It's worth a lot of money because there's a lot of you know, wealth involved in it. But one day it will go away if we do not start doing things in a different way. And so you know, as someone who has struggled to feel truly a part of the sport until basically until I carved my own section and I carved my own path and was like, well, I'm creating my own community. Like I'll, I'll just make my way. But as someone who grew up feeling slightly on the outside, even though, yes, I was competing at the Grand Prix level, I was working my butt off. Like I was doing everything I could. 
but I, I never felt, you know, I couldn't show at WEF in the winter. I could never afford that. I couldn't show every week. I couldn't have more than one horse. I was very lucky just to have my thoroughbred and, you know, to ride a lot of other horses. But as someone who struggled to feel part, you know, truly part of it, I think that it's very exciting that we are creating these new ways of doing things in the sport that eventually will become normalized and become transparency is normal. Communication is normal. Inclusivity is normal. And that's what's going to allow the sport to grow in the way that we would all like to see it. And I, and I uh, speaking of other people's projects, for example, uh, I was in touch with Clementine Gutal recently while they're doing a preview with Lucy Davis. I find the project amazing, as well as what the competitors are doing with John Clear. Like that's opening the sport to the public. I find that amazing. And when you look at, for example, uh, Project of Nyon Sar, I also got to meet him and discuss with him about it. And these companies are opening the sport to people that have not necessarily anything to do with it, or it could be the mom that goes see the kid that competes, doesn't understand horses. And when you look at a sport like racing, the only reason why racing works, because your average racehorse isn't 50k, yeah? it's five, five average. That's your average racehorse. The only reason why it works is because there's investors and there's betting. And betting sustains the sports and allowed it to become this huge, massive mainstream thing, or unfortunately, it's a lot of weird people that go betting at the cafes, but there's also a nice side to it. There's a terrible side to it, but a lot of stuff. And the reason why it's so big is because that if you look at the NFL, the NBA, all of those big sports, the only reason why it's, and there's no horses involved, it's, it's totally different, but it's because of the engagement of people in it. So I think that it's definitely very, very interesting. And I, I can't wait to see what the 20 years to come mm -hmm. of the industry. And it's like, I was trying to, uh, to explain to, to people, well, that's probably a little bit early, but I was trying to explain to people how the use of NFTs could be massive in horse ownership, being able to track on blockchain whenever an offer gets made because you've got your typical, oh, hey, my Grand Prix horse almost got bought by that five-star rider for half a million, but finally they went for another one. Prove it. Prove me the value of the horse. And without data, without centralization of transaction, we see what happens, what doesn't work, what works, for what reason. We're not able to create a standard nor an index. Now, I'm not saying that prices of horses have to be indexed because it's like art, right? It's very much worth what you were willing to pay for it, but there is a certain standard, a certain pattern which with technology and with data and with all the projects that are coming up and everything else like is creating this opportunity for even someone that doesn't have the money to go pitch a crowd of investors online and say hey i want to buy my first horse because of that reason i would be surprised to not see it work because I people would are willing to help when they know what's what for the right, right reason you know I would love to see minorities get involved in equestrian sports just because of these exciting, these exciting projects coming up. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it, right? Is that like, we have to be, we have to broaden the community. We have to broaden the horizons. There has to be a sense of just less exclusion. There has to be there right now. It just very much feels like, why would I be involved in that? It doesn't want me for a lot of people for financial reasons, for socioeconomic reasons, for race, for background, anything. It's a 
you know, yeah, it's a sport that was built by the wealthy, you know, traditionally, but things change. It's 2022, things are changing and it's time for the change. And I, I'm really excited to be able to be in the smallest way, but be part of those changes, whether it's from me and Allie supporting equestrian entrepreneurs who want to build their own path through on course, whether it's partnering with you to, you know, create my syndicate and allow more people to be involved in horse ownership. Very excited about that. But also just to see and to be connected to people like you in this community that feel the same way, that want to make it inclusive, that want to make it new and see the opportunity there for so many more people to be involved. I'm super excited. I think that we'll, we'll have so many more opportunities to dive deep into it. And, 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 you know, I think that there's so much still to talk about. We could go on for hours, right? I keep forgetting that this is being recorded and this is not just me talking to you, but I think that this is it's so exciting. And even like you were mentioning just before some people, you know, and stuff at the end of the day, what I feel is going to happen is going to be an ecosystem is going to create itself. Whether we see it yet or not, we will collaborate with Jumper or Jumpier or Printly. We will collaborate with XYZ that does this, that, the other to create a hub where people can say, oh, I've got X partner that will do it for you well, X partner, where everything in the horse world can be tracked, done transparently, in security, where you don't have to deal with the bullshit anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm really, I mean, <laughs> we could talk about this for a hundred years and one day we will because, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm like an energy person that I should check my tour again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always feel that things, you know, I'm a believer in manifestation and energetics and that things fall into place for a reason that we're creating. Um, and I feel that way with, you know, the relationship that we're, we're building. I also like know in the future, those bigger pieces will fall into place, but you know, one day you and I are going to sit down and Florida and get to talk for eight hours about all of our ideas and then bring us just bought, you know, with my range of new horses. It's funny that you said that you like manifestation and that you're into I'm into the law of attraction a little bit. So funny story to kind of you know close it's so ridiculous. Um so before way before I started bridal when I just moved to Barcelona, I had stopped riding horses, stopped riding race horses, I was just in the sea. And just my first job as a student, I was working in a restaurant, hated my job. And at night, I would go to bed every single night. And I would put these affirmations on YouTube for the whole night. So while I was sleeping, I could hear, you will be a millionaire before you're 25. You will attract X, Y, Z in your life. You are worth more than all the people you know in terms of money. Like all of that stupid crap. And I would just... Yeah, tell myself 25 times a day, hey, you're going to be able to do this, you're going to be able to do that. And, and I just think manifestation works, whether it's about finance, whether it's about abundance, whatever it is, I believe in it. I'm not yet one of those weird witches that has crystals, but I believe in it. Oh, I am. I wish I had them like with me. <laughs> I totally am. Um, and But it's, it's one of those things that like, if you take all the woo-woo out of it, even when you're looking at this, of when I was deciding to... I was debating whether or not to resign from Noel Floyd and um, kind of follow the, one of the main reasons that I resigned was because I really, 
I have these big writing goals, right? Like I, it now is the time for me to pursue that. If I want to jump at the top of the sport, I need to do it now. Yes. Age is not hugely limiting in this sport, but you know, I'm 30 turning 35. So I should probably get going. Um, but it was a, something that was really a heavy decision for me because Noel is a very good friend of mine. Um, I was at the company for five years. It is a job that I deeply, deeply love and found very fulfilling. And I had to really connect to kind of like the intuition in that of, do I want to, you know, take this leap and take this risk and start my own business and pursue my riding and really go all in? Or do I want to stay where I'm comfortable um, and continue this incredible job? And things started falling into place in a way that there's no way that it's coincidental. I was like, oh, I am subconsciously creating this. This is what is happening. It's, this is what manifestation is when you take all the woo-woo away from it is, you know, we're energetic beings. And I, the way things happened of on the phone with my friend, Britt, who owns Meraki Creative, and just to bounce ideas off of her. And then opportunities came out of that. And then opportunities, you know, came, the horses for the syndicate started actually showing up. And then I, you know, got some new opportunities in my riding and everything just, all of the pieces started going together. So I think that, you know, whether it's probably way too woo-woo for the equestrian world, but no matter what, like it's, it's happening, you know, we're creating this. And I think that um, the more people that we empower kind of in the equestrian space to feel that, you know, their dreams are possible too, whether they want to call it manifestation or call it hustle or hard work or whatever, but you had an idea, I had ideas. And if we hadn't trusted, you know, the gut feeling there of like, go after it, then everything would stay the same. And so, you know, we're doing very exciting things and I think they're going to be very successful, but no matter how they shake out, it's going to be great. And I think that there are a lot of people in this community that haven't seen their ideas come to fruition yet. And I'm very excited for not only your business and my business, but also maybe for out what we're doing to inspire other people to do their thing, whatever that thing is. Cause the more of us do this in this industry, the like more people who take the bold ideas in the equestrian space and like go after them, the better for all of us that then we can all support each other. The sport's going to grow new and better things are going to happen and everything will shift into a better direction. It's, it's super, I think it's super interesting. There's going to be so many collaboration things, but I, I'm thinking about something. I, I saw something on Instagram the other day and it kind of gave me the, gave me this whole shit moment. And it was a quote saying, that you're exactly in the right place, like where you're supposed to be. And the life that you have right now is the life that you dreamt of five years ago. And I was like, holy moly, that is so true. So like, this makes me, you know, of course, think that everything is happening for a reason. I have this view on, um, look, check this out. This was me, Marie, I was 10 on this one. Oh my gosh, look how cute you are. <laughs> I just I was just thinking about bringing that up because I kept on thinking. But yeah, you're exactly where you're supposed to be, and and you know your dreams, like your life right now, were your dreams five years ago. And I think that this is exactly what is what is happening in people's life when they're willing to trust themselves, trust their energy, attract the right people around them because your network 
regards of tremendous amount of impact in your life, but also like be willing to not give a shit what people think about it. Exactly. That's the biggest part about it, you know, and look at things. This is like my biggest hope for people listening to this episode is if they take anything away, whether or not they have any interest in bridal or an on course or in anything, if they take one thing away and they love horses and they want to, they had maybe this idea, but didn't think they could do it, or you know, they want to pursue being a professional writer, or they want to start a new platform, or they want to be an influencer, or they want to start a small business or clothing line or anything that if they can take anything away from this is that these are two people that you and I came together, you know, through connecting through our businesses, through social media and everything. And these are, we're two people who don't have, there's no reason that we could do it above anybody else. Like there's no, we didn't come from some special background that allowed us I to do that college and from middle class family. I got fired See? a lot of times. <laughs> I, went to, I went to college for like one and a half semesters and then was like, I'm going to go. I, I moved to Los Angeles with no house or anywhere to live and no job. And like, we're, there's no reason that we could do it that anyone else couldn't. And I'm not saying that like, yeah, I still stress about money a lot, mainly because I want to show horses a lot, but we're doing it. Like we're out there trying to make it happen. And so if anyone can take one thing away, it's like, you can also, you can do this. There is room. You know, I just posted on Instagram today on the on course Instagram that we launched that there's room for your dream. There's, there's, it's not oversaturated. The equestrian market is actually particularly undersaturated in terms of new ideas. Um, there's room for like, you just started this podcast. There's room for a new podcast. There's room for new technology. There's room for new ideas and there's room for your dream, whatever that is. And I want to, I want to support that. I want us to continue to grow this community so we can all support what we're doing as, you know, equestrian entrepreneurs and change this landscape to be something that is, you know, really supportive and doesn't feel exclusionary and feels like something that you're like, oh my gosh, I have, like, I have a group of friends behind me because mm-hmm. that's really, you know, that's, that's what is starting to happen here as we all start connecting. Of course, of course. And your support system is super important, your people around you you know, shape you completely. I think that's the perfect conclusion to what's probably an hour and a half. <laughs> I swear. I mean, this happens every time we talk, we could do this for probably just a week straight of talking. It never stops. Oh, if I got paid to talk to you, I think I'd already be a millionaire. <laughs> yes. Uh, we should figure out how to make that happen. That would be a great oh, job. Look, you know what we should do, Erin? We should actually have our own podcast that we monetize and we use those, you know, that money to pay for shows. Yes. See, this is where the good ideas come from. They just come together. <laughs> Let's keep it to this. Thank you so much for everything you've done for, for me and for, for everything today, for the community and whoever may be listening to this. I think it's, it's super exciting. There's so much that's going to come up. I can't wait to, to involve myself in your project, whether it's in horses, not in horses, tomorrow or in 10 years. I think there's definitely lots of super exciting stuff coming up. And uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, we'll be doing a lot together. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been wonderful getting to talk more in depth about all of this with you. And I hope we can do it again. That's good.